Well, today we're going to talk about uh, having a, a biblical or Christian worldview. We're going to talk about why that's important, the blessings that are connected to it, and we're going to learn some scary things about how little of a biblical Christian worldview there is. I want you to notice if you say, well, what's a worldview? Uh, in the simplest definition, a worldview is how you view the world. N no joke, uh, everybody has a worldview. If you take anywhere from like infancy to three years old, they have a worldview. And here's the worldview. It all revolves around them. They really, that's their worldview. As far as they know, you live and breathe to serve them. That, that's the whole thing. Uh, have you ever swung a little child around uh, a thousand times? And one of the first things they'll learn is do again, do again. Doesn't matter if you've done it 3,000 times, do again. Why, because the whole world revolves around them. And they'll learn later that that's not the case. It's a sad day when you realize that you're not the center of everyone's universe. Uh, but that's the worldview. Uh, everyone's got a worldview. Uh, a secular humanist would have the worldview that everything's just material. That's all that really exists in life. And so if you start talking to them about spiritual things or prayer or God, from their worldview, and by the way, it doesn't mean that they're hateful or mean, but from their worldview, there's no room for God because there is nothing except the material. You know, the... The Buddhist believes they can escape suffering through, through um, uh, self-denial and self-sacrifice and all these self-purification actually be the best choice of words. And so everybody's got a, a worldview. You and I have one, and usually it's just, it's just a, not usually, it's always a combination of everything we believe to be true. Now, you might have figured this out. Not everything you believe to be true is true. But if you think it's true, it's true to you. Now, I want to explain that. I don't think we all have our own truth. I'm just saying it's true to you. If you believe with all your heart that 2 plus 2 is 7, and there's no talking you out of it, that is your, it's not true, but that's your truth. And so we perceive things uh, and believe things by what we feel like is true. If a group of people are chatting and talking and laughing and they look your way, and if you're kind of self-conscious or your self-image is kind of poor, uh, you may think, oh, they're, they're laughing at me, they're making fun of me. They may not have even really noticed you. They may not even know who you are, but if that becomes your reality, then you can be offended because you know they were thinking about you, laughing at you. And I tell people this all the time because I want you to know that's what the Bible calls a vain imagination. It's empty, it's hollow, it has no substance to it. So I just tell people, if you're going to have a made-up imagination anyway, have a good one. If a group of people are looking over at you and they smile and laugh, just think, I am so attractive that it just brings joy to their heart when they look at me. I mean, it's all a vain imagination, so you might as well have a good one, have a positive one. So we have all these ideas that float around our heads, and they form our worldview, and every uh, emotion you experience pretty much, every decision you make, every action you take, revolves around how you see the world. The lens through which you see the world affects everything. It affects how you see uh, science, uh, theology, God, religion, uh, art, uh, entertainment, um, social order, how you, how you see uh, just about anything in life that I can think of revolves around how you see the world. It's how you would explain things or how you would explain things away by how you see the world. Now, I had a guy that I shared office space with when I was in the computer business. His name was Don. Don was a super guy. And we'd have conversations. And Don would tell me stuff. And by the way, I enjoy 
sharing about philosophies of life and how things work or don't work. And, and so he was sharing something with me that I found particularly bizarre. And so I said, Don, I want you to know this. I'm not unbiased. By the way, people sometimes say, I I'm unbiased. You're not unbiased. Nobody's unbiased. You may try hard to not be biased, but we're all biased. So I just right up front said, Don, I just want you to know this. Everything you say, everything we talk about, everything we think, I run through the filter of what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? I've told you this before. Uh, Don said to me, he said, well, as we all know, now that's a very manipulative statement. Most people don't say that to manipulate, but it's very manipulative because we've already started as we all know. So now if you don't know, you're an idiot because the rest of the world knows this. So he said, as we all know, the Bible has been altered so many times over the years for political purposes. I wasn't trying to be clever or anything. I actually was trying to gain some information. I said, Don, I've been around the Bible and around church all my life. When and by whom was the Bible altered? And then I discovered he had no answer for that. It's just like, well, we all know that. I said, I didn't know that. And so I learned that that saying had always worked for him. And it sounds kind of learned, doesn't it? Well, as we all know, the Bible has been altered many times over the years for political purposes. Sounds strong, sounds smart, sounds intelligent. It just isn't true. The Bible towers above any other historical document you can think of. We literally have thousands and thousands of manuscripts of the Bible spanning over thousands of years. And so it's real easy. Now, this doesn't mean you need to believe the Bible. This doesn't even mean the Bible's true. It just means that statement he made is not true. Because you can find a, a Bible 1,500 years old compared to a Bible 1,000 years old compared to a Bible 500 years old compared to a Bible you bought this week, and they all say the same thing. So at least that argument against the Bible is not true. And so we, we get all these ideas, and that's how we see the world. And there's an interesting study uh, done by uh, George Barna, one of the big pollsters. You got Gallup, you got Barna, you got the Pew Report, you got all kinds of different companies that do this. And he figured out that only 4% of people in the United States of America have a biblical Christian worldview. Only 4%. Now, you say, well, that's bad news. I think what I'm about to tell you now is worse news. They were very specific to find Christians as best they could. Not just somebody that checked on the list, I'm a Christian because there's 20 religions on there and I didn't know which one to check, so I checked Christian. No, they probed to find out who were actually Christians and they gathered a group of Christians and asked the question to them uh, about a spiritual Christian biblical worldview and found out that only 9% of people who are Christians have a biblical Christian worldview. I mean, I don't know if you're sharp at math like I am, but that means out of 100 people, only nine have it. 91 people do not, 91 people out of 100 Christians do not have a Christian biblical worldview. Isn't that interesting? By the way, as we look at a worldview, uh, it may aggravate you some of the things that gets talked about when it comes to a worldview, but don't let it aggravate you. you there's things that you may not believe that's biblical, and so you have to determine why is that. So, when we look at art, when we look at politics, when we look at whatever, we all see morality, ethics, we all see through a particular lens, and that's how we judge everything. So, here's the, the list that pollster George Barna used. Now, this may not have been what your list would have been. You might have come up with something different, but this was his list where he made these statements about. First, do absolute moral truths exist? 
Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule it today? Now, you may say, well, last week you told us that we were in charge. I said, well, let me make this plain if you didn't get it. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, and all who dwell therein. He has delegated authority to us, much like you might own a home and tell one of your kids, this is your room. Now, here's how we would prefer for you to take care of it, but you're in charge. You can take care of this room. Okay, you've now delegated authority to them over that room. Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Is Satan real? Does a Christian have responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? And is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? That was George Barnes. I mean, you might have added things, or you might have wanted to take a few things off of it, but that's George Barnes' uh, group right there. And I believe it's the one in red. I just decided to highlight three of them in red. I believe it's the ones in red that give Christians some problems even, but absolutely give the, the secular, non-Christian world a lot of trouble. Do absolute moral truths exist? I don't even know if a lot of people believe that, but if you did believe that, then the next one is, are absolute truths defined by the Scripture, by the Bible? And then I think most unbelievers would say, no. You know, but then you ask, where are they defined? It gets very muddy how to figure out where moral absolutes are defined. And then you, know, you look at that, is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings. So that wipes a lot of people out. Now listen to me carefully. You, you may hold, you could truly be a Christian. Barna smoked out who was Christians and only nine out of a hundred of them had a Christian worldview. You can be a Christian and not have a Christian worldview on particular topics. I don't suggest it, but you can be. For instance, I don't go to Romans and it says, if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's risen from the dead, and agree with all of George Barna's you know, Christian, you know, worldview, then you will have eternal life. It doesn't say that. But I think we should be growing in what the scripture says. Now, so if you decide I'm going to do these eight things, they don't make you a Christian. Uh, a life devoted, given to Jesus, that makes you a Christian, not just that you believe a certain set of things. And if you don't believe all these things, it doesn't make you not a Christian. A life given to Jesus is what does that. Well, many years ago, I was working in a... Um, with several youth ministers around the area, this is before I pastored here even, and they were doing a, a community effort, and it was at a particular church, and youth groups were invited from all over the community, and I was one of the people there serving and working. And there's a particular person that she was uh, the youth leader at the actual church we were at, super person, sweet as could be, uh, but it seemed like on general Christian things that almost everybody just kind of believed, she would bristle at, politely, but she would bristle at. And so we had just had a conversation about something she didn't believe that I believed. And I said, okay, well, I'll try to find common ground. So I said, well, there's one thing I know we can believe, and that is you must be born again. And she said, much to my amazement, I have a real problem with that phrase. I said, wow, I was thinking we were going to meet. I thought, I'll just lower this down to the least common denominator that we must be born again. And she said, I got a problem with that. I said, well, Jesus is the one who said that. And well, you know, but, and so here was, her, here was her worldview. She has friends, dear friends, that belong to multiple different religions, not Christians. And they're wonderful people, and I don't doubt that at all. They're sweet and kind. I don't doubt that at all. They sincerely and genuinely believe their religion to be true. I don't doubt that at all. And so therefore, she said, I believe they're as saved as you and I are. Okay. Now, why did she believe that? She does not have a Christian biblical worldview. 
She just doesn't. She doesn't have that. You can't have a Christian biblical worldview because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except through me. Now, again, that may aggravate some of you here because you may have dear friends in other religions just like she did and say, well, I just think that's too narrow-minded. I don't believe God was trying to be exclusive. I believe he is being inclusive because for God so loved the world. He gave his life for the world, not just for, you know, I'm just going to have this little group of people here and who cares about everybody else. He gave an invitation to the whole world to know Jesus as their Savior. Now, think about this for a second from a logical point of view. I forget, I, I, I think it, the Chinese people have something like a thousand gods. Forgive me, I normally look things up. A lot of gods. So let's just for easy sake, it won't be accurate, let's just say there's a thousand gods, you know, worshipped and served on planet Earth today. There's probably more, but we'll just say there's a thousand. And Jesus decides, now think about the logic of this, uh, by the way, I did tell her this. I said, well, well, let me say this to you. If that's true, that as long as we're genuine and sincere and any God works because we're all going to heaven, regardless of what they call God, then God owes a big apology to the prophets of Baal because El Elijah came on the scene, Elijah representing the God of Israel, and there was a showdown between the prophets of Baal who were committed and sincere Believers in the idol Baal and Ashtoreth and, and Queen Jezebel was a sincere believer. And they had a showdown and all those prophets and priests of Baal and Ashtoreth were put to death. I think that would have been a perfect place for God to say, here's a teaching moment. Elijah, relax. They call me Baal. You call me Yahweh. It's okay. We're all going to heaven in our own way. It doesn't matter. They're sincere. They're, they're fine. Wouldn't that have been a great teaching moment to show us that instead of there being a, a showdown between the two religions? So, think about this. God says, okay, there's a thousand ways to get to me, but I have an idea. And so the father gets with the son and says, hey, why don't you go leave the glories of heaven, clothe yourself in a human body, experience wearisome, tired, being tired, hungry, thirsty, all that, and then how about you get lied upon and brutally murdered and put in a grave and then you rise again and now we'll have 1,001 ways to get to heaven. That just doesn't seem very logical for a brilliant God to do. It would be like you coming to me and saying, I have a, an infectious disease that's guaranteed to kill me, but I know that your son has the antibodies to cure me. And so I get together with my son and say, are you willing to die because this is what it'll take to extract your antibodies? And he would say, yes, I am. And so he dies and gives his life and gets these antibodies to cure this person. And they're 100% cured. My son's dead. But I forget to tell you that every pharmacy on planet Earth already has a dozen cures for that disease. But now we have 13 cures. You would say that's illogical. First of all, it's a good thing that I'm not God because if there were no cures, I would not give my son to die for you. Just want you to know. You say, I thought you were loving. I'm pretty loving, but not that loving. Okay? So... It just would be silly to come up with an extra way to get to heaven. I wouldn't give my son, I don't believe God, clothed himself in flesh and lived among us just to make an extra way to get to heaven. So, what's going on? Why do we believe that all religions are valid as long as we're sincere and we can get to heaven by any of them? Here's why we believe that. Because we do not have 
a biblical Christian worldview. Well, that makes me angry. I'm sorry it wasn't my intent. I'm just telling you, Jesus said, I am the way, not a way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so in order to not believe that, I have to say, I don't believe Jesus, I don't believe the scriptures, I don't believe the Bible. That's what you have to say, which means you don't have a Christian worldview. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have a Christian worldview in some ways. It's just in this way you wouldn't have. Why would I believe that this whole universe came into existence just by random chance and our solar system so intricately inter intertwined? I mean, it's, it can't be off but just a hair. Or we're all doomed. That that just all happened by chance and accident. Why would I believe that? Because I don't have a Christian biblical worldview. Well, that, that aggravates me. I can't help it, but Genesis says, in the beginning, God created. Now, I think you can use all kinds of methods to create, but I can tell you he created. He created the heavens and the earth. And so, in order for me to believe that, I have to believe that the Bible's not accurate. That I don't have a biblical Christian worldview. You guys are so excited about this, I can tell you, it's really, you're loving it, I know. Several times throughout the sermon, just say in your head, I love Tracy. I love Tracy. Just keep saying that in your head when you go, I can't believe it. No, just, uh, okay, I love Tracy. Okay. Why would I believe that anything is art or entertainment, no matter how vile it is, vulgar it is, offensive it is? Because beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Why would I believe that? Because I don't have a Christian biblical worldview. And we could go on and on and on. So I'm going to give you a warning for next week, a serious warning. I don't, in fact, I don't think I've ever done this. It's just generally not my topic. I will often avoid the topic only because if I'm teaching on prayer and I mention something in the culture, I can lose half the people thinking about what I just said when my topic was going to be on prayer. But I think there's a time to address it as your topic. Next week, we're going to talk about the craziness that's in our culture and in our world around us that, that gets celebrated and loved and, and appreciated and think is right and all that. And we're going to compare it to what the Bible says. Now, I do want to say this. You don't have to believe the Bible. We're just going to see what the Bible says. So here's my warning. If you were thinking about bringing a friend next week that you know gets super mad if anybody calls something they like sin and they love the world and the culture and society, I would say don't bring them next week. Just wait for a couple weeks and bring them. We'll be on a different topic then. Unless, of course, they're ones that would say, which is kind of few out there, I'm happy to learn. I would like to know. Give me truth. Then go ahead and bring them along. So it's just a little warning because we're going to talk about all those things. I probably won't cover all of them because there's too many. But I can tell you this. I know my heart. You, most of you here know my heart. I, I will just teach you what the Word of God says. I will have no hate, no malice, no, no disgust, no anything. I'm just going to teach you what the Bible says about it. And I have friends that totally do not believe like I do on this thing. Guess what? We both continue to treat each other with respect and dignity and kindness and, and we'll continue to do that. But I want to share with you what the Word of God says because I was thinking, when I read that poll, it was a long time ago, wow, we need to be better at teaching what the Bible says. And then you can at least decide, I'm not going to believe the Bible. But at least I can say, I taught what the Scriptures say. Oh, another little side note too, sorry. But I have friends that tell me, well, Tracy, it's just what you say the Bible says, how you interpret the Bible because who really knows what the Bible says? And so I was talking to one of them about a month or so ago. I said, you act like the Bible's confusing. 
we just don't really know what it says. I get it if you're reading some Old Testament obscure prophecy or you're trying to hammer out the book of Revelations completely. But 99% of the Bible is very clear to understand. I think it's what you do understand that you don't like. So I just, I'll give you an example. Those of you who are stealing must steal no more, but do something useful with your hands that you may be able to share with others. Well, if I'm a professional thief, I may go, well, I'm not really sure what God's trying to say here. You know, I got, no. Can we all understand what God is trying to say there? Stealing's wrong. It's sinful. Stop it. Start working. Get some extra. And instead of stealing from others, share with others. It's not confusing. You don't have to say, well, I, I, you know, as soon as I get my doctorate in theology, I'll, I'll know I'll be able to figure that out. There's nothing, nothing hard to figure out about that. The Bible says don't be rude. What's it mean? Don't be rude. I mean, we read almost everything. It's very easy to understand. Jesus is there with a woman caught in adultery. You know, I have people say, well, you know, Jesus never condemned anyone or gave them instructions on what to do. He is always loving and kind. He wasn't a condemner. Remember what he said to the lady? I don't condemn you. Now, go and sin no more. Is it hard to understand what he's saying? Listen, lady, your adulterous lifestyle is wrong. Stop it and go sin no more. I don't condemn you. I'm not here to crush you. I want to lift you and elevate you. How is he lifting and elevating her? By telling her to stop sinning. I was on a road the other day, and it said the bridge was out ahead. I believed it, and I took a different road. If the sign had been gone, and that was my favorite road, and somebody came out waving their hands and said, the bridge is out ahead. You'll plunge to your death. I said, well, who, who do you think you are to tell me where I can go and where I can't go? Well, they're trying to be kind. And as you plunge off to your death, you might think, I probably should have listened to the person that told me the bridge was out. I probably should have paid attention. So Jesus is always trying to elevate and lift people with truth. Now, how does our Christian worldview get diluted? How does it get watered down? Well, I'm going to show you that. It's worth the price of admission. We're going to look at this. Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. I think this is a New Living Translation. You can read it in whatever your favorite one is. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Oh, the joys. Or, blessed are those who do not follow. Did you catch that? Who, what's the next two words? Do not, who do not follow the advice or counsel of the wicked. Now, wicked's a strong word, so people go, well, I just don't think you ought to call that person wicked. I don't think you ought to say they're wicked. Well, let's call them ungodly then, because that's what the King James and the New King James use, the word ungodly. So, so you got people who love God and know God, and so they're godly. you got people who say, I don't love God or want anything to do with God, so they are un, meaning non, un-God. Does that get that? It's not, not really an ugly word, it's just a factual word. They are ungodly. So, oh, the joys and blessed are those who do not follow the advice or counsel of the wicked or the ungodly. Blessed are those, and oh, the joy of those who do not stand around with sinners and who do not join in with mockers. Now, I'm going to use an illustration so you can see this. Now, uh, I'm just using this person because 
they got a lot of press time over the last few months. Uh, you may like them, you may hate them. I don't know that much about them, but I'm going to use them as an example so you get this idea. The guy's name is Joe Rogan. Anybody ever heard of Joe Rogan? Okay. You probably know him from Fear Factor. And Joe Rogan has a podcast. And on that podcast, every time he does an episode, there's, listen to me, millions and millions of listeners. Okay? I'm not mad at Joe Rogan. not picking on Joe Rogan. Just telling you a little story here. What I know about Joe Rogan is that he was raised in the, uh, spent the first few years in a Catholic uh, school and uh, probably after getting his knuckles wrapped a few times by the, the nuns, he said, I don't know about this. And so he has decided that he is agnostic. Now, agnostic means I don't think there's enough evidence to say there is a God or there isn't a God. As far as I know about him, although I don't know a lot, so I could be wrong, I don't think he's hateful about God or religion or anything like that. I believe he says, I'm an agnostic. I don't know if there is a God or there isn't a God. So he may say some wonderful things. He may say some awful things. I don't know. Again, you may say, I'm glad you're picking on Joe Rogan. I hate that guy. Well, I'm not picking on Joe Rogan. I'm picking on a concept. He is feeding his worldview into millions and millions of listeners every time he has a podcast. I'm not picking on him. If I had millions and millions of listeners, I would be doing my best to infiltrate their brains with my worldview. So I don't think that's evil that he does. It's just a natural thing of what we do. We see everything. We act. We decide. We move upon what our worldview is, how we see the world. And so, I don't know a whole lot about him, but I know this. Joe Rogan will never have my ear. He'll never have my eye. He'll never have my thoughts. He'll never have my brain. Now, I know you may say, I've listened to every podcast he's had. I'm not picking on you for that. I'm just, I'm just trying to explain something to you. I, here's how I think, because I have a biblical worldview. Joe Rogan can't even see God. The Bible says in Romans 1 that no man will stand before God without an excuse because all creation screams out there's a creator. All creation screams out there's a creator. So I'm saying, Joe, I don't have no problem with Joe. I always like watching him have people eat weird stuff on Fear Factor. But I do know this. I'm saying to myself, if you can't find God, then you're not going to be my primary influence and counsel on how to do life. If you can't look at a starry sky and go, oh my goodness, there's a God. If you can't look at the ocean waves lapping on a beach and say, oh my, there's a God. If you can't look at the majestic mountains and say there's a God. If you, if you can't look at the variety and crazy beauty and variety of the animal kingdom and walk away and say, I don't know if there's any evidence that there's a God. If you can't look at the intricacies of our solar system and universe and say, I can't see that there's a God, then that's okay. I'm not mad at you. I just don't want you to counsel me in what my worldview should be. Now, you could say, but Tracy, he's got some good stuff. I'm not scared of listening to him. If somebody came to me and said, you need to listen from 10 minutes in to 20 minutes in, a podcast number, blah, blah, blah. He's got some great things to say. I'd say, that's fine. I don't mind listening to that, but I'm not going to make it my primary influence for my worldview. Yeah, I might as well just keep on plugging here, you know. Let me tell you who else is not going to get my ear not going to have my thoughts, not going to have my former President Donald Trump. Okay, I just lost 90% of you right there, I know. Just, uh, yeah. He's not going to have my ear. Neither is former President or current President Joe Biden or Fox News or CNN or the hundred other outlets out there. 
What are you saying? You would never listen to something Donald Trump had to say? Absolutely I would. Or Joe Biden or CNN or Fox in, in small doses. But I'm not going to, and I, I mean this, I know that uh, we live in a, an area who just uh, loves Donald Trump. By the way, I want to say everywhere I've gone, they love Donald Trump. I, I took a motorcycle trip up through Michigan, up to uh, Canada, down to Mexico, and back home, and I can tell you, no one's given up on Donald Trump. I saw posters, billboards, flags waving everywhere. I said, this country's not taking down those flags that say, you know, Trump in 2020. And so I told my buddy, I said, I have not seen one Biden poster, but I've seen all these Trump things. He said, I saw a Biden billboard. I said, I, I must miss that. He said, yeah, it says, uh, China Joe has to go. I said, oh, okay. I said, that was... I said, so that little stretch of the United States of America, uh, you know, it's kind of dangerous to say, Donald Trump's not going to be my major influencer. And he's not. And neither is Biden, and neither is CNN, and neither is Fox News, and neither is the 100 other outlets that are out there. I want the word of God to penetrate and permeate my mind and my heart and my, my desires, how I see the, wor the world. Okay. So I ask you, who has your ear? Is it a secular podcaster, tweeter, Instagrammer, Facebooker, news station, the Kardashians, TV shows, movies, Hollywood? Who has your ears? Because once they get your ears, they get your thought. I really sincerely mean this. I'm not saying any of them is, is trying to be evil. If I had a podcast, I would want to get the most listeners humanly possible. I get that, so I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I'm just saying people who don't have a Christian worldview and a biblical worldview does not need to dominate your thought life. Again, you could say, well, but we need to know what other people think. I know what other people think. I listen to a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but I don't have to make that my dominant focal point of my hearing and, and seeing and listening. Okay, I'm just going to keep on marching on. Okay, might as well tell you about this one. Would we all please... Stop listening to all the fringe Christian shows and podcasts out there that are wacky, okay? There's enough good, solid biblical information that we don't have to go down the rabbit hole of the crazy stuff that's out there, even in the Christian world. There's this one Christian guy. I really love and appreciate his ministry and his heart for the kingdom, uh, but every time I watch him, it's the most bizarre topic you've ever heard of in your life. You go, okay. So, let me tell you what we don't need to do. We don't need dozens and dozens of teachings. By the way, this is my opinion, and you, actually I made somebody mad saying this to them one time, what my intent. Like Darlene will tell me, you just crack yourself up, don't you? I say, most of the time I do. So I was telling this person, I said, you don't have to agree with me, you can be wrong. Oh my goodness. I thought we were having a pleasant little conversation. It turned south, you know, at that. I was like, sorry, I was just trying to be funny, but it didn't work too well. But I'm just going to go through some stuff, and maybe you say, I don't even know what you're talking about when you mention these things. But these are topics that are out there. You could spend hundreds of hours, read books on this, and listen to sermon series like crazy on who is Melchizedek in the Bible. It's a very fascinating topic. It's not worthy of 100 hours. Melchizedek either was the pre-incarnate Christ, he either was 
God in a human body representing the kingdom, or he was a human being named Melchizedek who was a type of Christ, one of the two. So you can spend a thousand hours and you're going to go right back to that point because the Bible doesn't clearly say, even though people want to say it does, doesn't really clearly say, and I want to say this, and this is aggravating to people, it doesn't matter. My life, if I never even heard the word Melchizedek, that would not affect my life in serving Jesus or telling people about Jesus or living right before God or being the best I can be for the kingdom. What about this, Tracy? I was listening to a podcast. And I got so excited to learn about pre-Adamic races. Now, some of you are saying, I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, here's the concept. Pre, before, Adamic, Adam, races that exist and may have lived on planet Earth, because Earth was here if you go into Genesis 1. It's just void and without form. Maybe there have been many pre-Adamic races that existed on planet Earth before Adam and Eve. Here, I can, I can solve all this right now. Maybe. No definitive answer. Bible doesn't say. Doesn't tell us. So at the end of a thousand hours, I got to say, I don't really know. That's how I was at hour number one. And now I'm talking about that and thinking about that and, and it's consuming my life. I want to ask a question. Do you really believe that your pursuit for God, you're sharing Jesus Christ, you're making a difference in the world, alleviating some pain and suffering in other people's lives will matter at all if there was or was not pre-Adamic races? No? Fascinating? Yes. Interesting? Yes. Do I read stuff like that on occasion? Sure. I'm just not going to devote my life to that. Tracy, did dinosaurs and human beings coexist together? Hmm. Well, if you read the book of Job, which I had noticed about 10 years ago, shame on me, Job's the oldest written book in the Bible. You say, well, I thought that was Genesis. Genesis goes back and begins at the beginning, but it was written after the book of Job had been written. And Job talks about two creatures in there, a Leviathan and a, help me out, the Leviathan and the Bohemoth. And modern people say, it's a crocodile and a hippo. There ain't no way. Read the story, and you'll have to say, these are not a hippo or a crocodile. So, did dinosaurs and human beings coexist together? Possibly. Uh, but then again, I know this is hard. Forgive me, because this may be your favorite topic. Who cares at this stage in history? I, I don't. Okay. Fascinating, yes. Would I read something about it? Absolutely. Would it intrigue me for a while? Yeah. Will I spend 100 hours on it? No, I will not. Tracy, are demons fallen angels or are they disembodied spirits of a pre-Adamic race? This is debated and talked about all the time. Fascinating topic, but I'm going to deal with whatever that evil is in the same way, regardless of where its origin is, because Jesus teaches us how to do that. You want to dig deeper? How about this one? Was Billy Graham actually the grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan? Was Mother Teresa really a front for the largest drug cartel in India? You know, it's, it's uncontrollable what you can find. Stop. Go back to the 
solid, beautiful word of God and let it infiltrate your heart and your mind. So after you give your ears and your heart and your eyes to the counsel of the ungodly, then you'll end up standing around and hanging out with sinners. Now I get the idea that you cannot escape sinners everywhere, nor do we want to. We want to be salt and light in the world. But some of you, your whole primary world of influence is sinners. People who don't love God, don't believe in God, don't want to go after God, and you're not influencing them to change, they're more influencing you. So you're hanging out with sinners, and then pretty soon after you hang out with them long enough, because they have a worldview, and the worldview excludes God, the worldview will say, whatever feels good, do it. You say, that's the modern mantra of the cult. No, that's not modern. That's been around since Adam and, after Adam and Eve. Cain thought it would feel good to kill Abel, so that's no new thing. And then pretty soon, you'll start joining in with mockers, which we're going to see that. And so God says on those three things, don't do that. So you hang around with sinners long enough, you get their worldview. Then, then you, by the way, people who don't know God tend to mock God and the things of God. They don't know anything about God. I mean, we're, we're going to come to this table right here. There'll be some people who say, that's ridiculous. And they begin to mock God. You hang around with them long enough, and you might begin to mock God too. Someone might say to you one day, boy, I really hope my brother comes to know Jesus as a Savior. And they go, what's that matter? All religions are valid. Everybody's getting to heaven in their own way. Who cares? What happened? You hung around with sinners long enough, and you got the world, world view of the world, and so there's your answer. Man, I need prayer. I really need God to touch my life. Prayer doesn't work. Prayer's no good. Prayer never changed anything. What happened? You're starting to join in with the mockers. So what's the solution to that? Well, we saw the first three. Do not, do not get the counsel advice of the ungodly. Do not hang around with sinners. Do not uh, join in with mockers. But here's the, here's the biblical worldview. Here's, here's some a goal for us. Psalm 1, 2, and 3. So we're not going to do those things, but here's what we are going to do. But they delight in the law of the Lord. Meditating on it day and night. To meditate means to think about, to ponder, to muse, to chew around on your mind. They meditate on it day and night. Well, what happens then? They are like trees. They are like trees planted along the riverbank. That's right where you want to be planted. The soil's rich. It's enriched with every nutrient that you need. It has hydration and water there. So what happens then? You're bearing fruit each season. You never get out of a fruit-bearing season. I believe it's the tree of life in heaven uh, says it bears fruit every month. You're going to bear fruit. You can't say, well, I'm past my fruit-bearing season. Not if, you're, not if you believe Psalm 1. I'm 90 years old now. So who cares? You're in fruit-bearing season. If you're a tree planted by the river of living water, you're a fruit-bearer. Remember Abraham and Sarah? They bore the fruit of her, her womb. And she was 90 years old, and he was like 100. Now, if there's a 90-year-old lady here in the congregation, they're saying, oh, God, please don't let that happen. I mean, you know. Uh, but that was a big deal to Abraham and Sarah, and, and he was the child of promise. Bear fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither, never brown, never dead. And here's another good little blessing. And they prosper in what? All they do. Well, I don't really think that you can prosper in all you do. Then you don't have a biblical worldview. 
Well, but Tracy, what about, you don't have biblical worldview. Well, well, Stephen got up and preached and got stoned to death. Yeah, and he prospered. The heavens opened up. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, and he got to go be in glory. Sounds pretty prosperous. Now, see, that's not prosperous by how the world thinks of prosperity, because even as Christians, we have a worldly worldview about riches and prosperity and, and success. It needs to be a biblical one. They prosper in all they do. Well, that's Old Testament. Okay, I'll give you New Testament, James chapter 1. If you look intently into the perfect law that gives liberty, and you're not a forgetful here, but you're a doer of the word, you will be blessed in all your deeds. Well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, then you don't believe the Old or the New Testament. So I'm not mad at you. I'm just telling you the truth. And you have to be truthful with yourself and say, apparently I don't, because you're right. I want to explain that away. Okay, so now here's your other option. You can decide you are going to get the counsel and wisdom of the world. You are going to hang out with sinners. You are going to join in with mockers. And then the next verses of Psalm 1 become yours. See, here's the good life, holding on to the word of God. But not so the wicked or the ungodly. They're not like this. They are like worthless chaff. Now, I don't want to bore you with this because I know some of your eyes glaze over because, you know, we haven't had a funny story here for a moment, but, but chaff is like when you take the wheat and they would have a, a, a winnowing fork and they would throw it up in the air, the chaff was the debris that was light. And so when the wind came through, it would blow the chaff away because it was worthless, and then the wheat would settle down to the ground. It says they're like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. I don't think anyone will be condemned. Okay, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly. Isn't that beautiful? Whew. The Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked, or the ungodly, leads to destruction. Now, since 91% of people who are Christians don't have a Christian worldview, there might have been something in here that aggravated you. I just want to say, check it out with the word. Judge what it says. Paul wasn't mad at the Bereans because they said, I don't think that's what he's saying is true. The Bible says they sought the scriptures out daily to see if the things that Paul said was true. So search out the scriptures. If you find that there's multiple ways to go to heaven, then fine. You, you won't find it, but check it out with the word. So here's our assignment. Shut off the worldly voices of the ungodly. Now, I want to over-explain. I'll tell you why I want to over-explain, but I'm not going to over-explain too much. I want to over-explain because I've had children. If you have children, you'll learn to over-explain. I remember one of my kids. Hey, I need you to get this particular thing from me. Here's what it looks like. I, 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 Dad, I got it. I'm not a baby. Okay, well, it needs to, I, I got it. I got it. Dead serious. Fifteen minutes later, phone call. Uh, what exactly was it I was supposed to get? Exactly. That's why we over-explain. We need to tune into voices of solid biblical truth and shut off the worldly voices. Now, if that aggravates you, you just have to say, okay, I need to learn what God says. Shut off the worldly voices of the ungodly. Tune into the voices of solid biblical truth. Meditate on those principles of God. You're tuning into solid principles. You want to meditate on those. Let them change you. I read a verse this week. Been chewing on it all week because I think we see it totally wrong. The verse says this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Here's how I've always heard that verse, 
and I think I was wrong. So I'm willing to learn. I've always heard, the, heard it like this in my head. Well, you say you love me and you don't keep my commandments, you dirty dog. All of a sudden I said, well, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now let me tell you how I'm chewing on this and hearing it now. The more I fall in love with Jesus, the more I obey his commandments. Wow. So the more I love Jesus, the more I want to please him. The more I want to satisfy him, the more I want. It, it doesn't make me more sinful. It makes me less sinful. So I now hear that first because I've been chewing on it and meditating on it and thinking about it. So meditate on those principles and get them planted in you.